All right. What is going on, guys? It is time for another episode of the Chasing Waypoints podcast. And this time around, we've got a review show. We've got a recap show. And I've been meaning to get this one out, but it's time to do it. It is... <laughs> you guys are listening to this at 10 a.m. It is 5.50 in the morning. I am 10 minutes away from Wheels Up at... Uh, the ranch and headed down to the six-day Baja Rally event. Going to be down there a couple of days, just hanging out with the guys, uh, coming back, chaperoning, doing maybe some tracking, stuff like that here uh, stateside. So, but I don't know if you guys can hear it in my voice. I've been literally just waking up, woken up, but we're going to make this one happen. We've got a special episode for you guys today. We have got one and two, number one and two. That is David Pearson and Mike Johnson, fresh off the Kota Rally. Gavin Ferguson going to be coming up on a separate episode on his own. Uh, definitely want to talk about his experience at the Kota Rally, but also his journey into rally. So uh, both David Pearson and Mike Johnson, no stranger to rally raid and getting out in the world. Uh, so I definitely want to get those guys out, get you guys out there. It's going to be a little bit longer of an episode. So I hope you guys are ready for this one. And also, if you are following along, make sure you are on the Instagram. We're going to be bringing updates live to you from the event. Uh, thank you and brought to you by none other than Starlink. Any that sounded way too much a commercial. He doesn't Elon doesn't even do marketing stuff like he just here. Here's my badass product. Use it do as you will so anyway with that being said guys i hope you guys enjoyed the episode we will see you guys next sunday for the uh, i don't know next sunday i think it's going to be baja rally recap i'll be down there talking to some of the guys i'll get some of the interviews uh i'll get you guys uh some more content from that but do make sure you are following along on instagram because that is where we are headed by the time you are listening to this we should be landing in San Quintin for the first bivouac, which is going to be the scrutineering and technical inspection, and then the start of day one. So stay tuned for more. Like I said, I hope you guys enjoy the episode. is but this sounds good yeah it does actually it's uh, like i said yeah it's definitely clear so okay you're traveling just out of the kota rally uh i i am i uh i wrapped up the kota and uh had an extra day here and did a little messing around with the girl and we packed up and we're heading to arizona to park for six months while we prep for the uh, dakar and and other races nice very nice so Okay. I got it from everybody. I got messages while I'm out of town, you know, like, dude, this rally was like, you know, from a few different guys. Um, so tell me, how did it go? What was, what was it like? Uh, fundamentally it was, it was, it was awesome. I mean, uh, what Mike Graves and Scott and Brian put together, given what they had to work with was pretty cool. Uh, there was definitely a couple of annoying speed zone sections that we all had to muscle through, but it was also a really good experience for time management mm -hmm. and, and race time management. And I, I thought that was, that was a new added strategy that came into the game with this race. But, uh, you could for, from a rally perspective, Victor, you, you just, you couldn't have got a different one, right? I mean, everything we do down in the Baja and Mexico is, is sand wash and sand dunes and rock face and just in and out. And, and here, you know, the first big notice you have is like 
the trees, like he'd go through trees and he routed us through not quite single track, but two track ATV type trail. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was extremely challenging, very technically rocky. Uh, it was certainly probably the slowest speed average rally I'd ever done. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think my bike ever saw sixth gear, um, <laughs> but, but it was all technically beautiful and rugged one. I mean, we, we, we shed a couple of people the first day. Um, and, and there were certainly a couple of days that kind of went through the flow of, of, you know, us making it weather definitely played a big factor. And so we had some pretty crazy rain days and the big thing. And so it was an overall, I, I was impressed. I had day two was, was a bit not mind numbing with some speed zones uh, that we had to deal with just going through, some of Grand County into Moab. And so that wore you out a little bit, but it also, it also taught you how to manage everything from pee breaks to, you know, getting through traffic and, and, uh, dealing with stops and, and some of those things. So it was, uh, I was impressed. I, I, uh, I, I give those boys credits for what they do. I, 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 I don't know how deep you want to get into it. Cause I was just looking through notes and, uh, some of the day by day activities in the big picture. So I'm not sure how much you want to talk yeah. about this. No, well, I mean, your experience, I mean, at the end, um, and, and first of all, we'll, we'll stop it there picking up the overall win on this officially. So <laughs> 25 hours, 57 minutes and 24 seconds all in. So, I mean, it sounds like some of the feedback that I've gotten has been, uh, based around that, the speed zones, but I think, you know, where a lot of people want to race, how do you guys, like, how do you see that? I mean, is it an important thing, you know, to learn how to manage these speed zones and, and do that? Or what, how does that work out? Uh, it, I mean, if you, uh, thank you, uh, the, you know, the, the wind was challenging. And if you, if you look at number two for 25 hours, the spread difference was, I don't know, it was less than three minutes, wasn't it? It is exactly two minutes and 30 seconds. Mike Johnson. Yeah. So, you know, Johnson and I had quite the event together and to run 25 hours of track time racing and still have a, a speed set or a time separation of less than three, you know, three minutes was, you know, tells you something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, Mike is amazingly good at time speed management on some of the speed zone stuff. And then when it would, when it got technically tough and difficult, it became very hard to keep at that speed zone limit. And so you had to manage your terrain riding correctly. And there were, there were clearly areas where, uh, Mike Graves route us into ATV trail and we couldn't maintain those speed limits and it was just give it what you got, you know? And then there were other times where we'd get on some just hard, hard baby head, jagged rock roads that you could keep the bike just up to speed limit so you know you'd be banging off the speed sensor sound siren uh and knowing you know when you came out of that little field into the little you know plateau and the thing that you really couldn't crank it you know Mm -hmm. and so you had to you'd come out of that uh treat area in the rocks and you'd blop the throttle and you'd blop the throttle right up to the speed zone and you'd roll with it you know Mm -hmm. and uh so it was an interesting, it was a slightly different, well, it wasn't slightly, it was definitely a different way to run the race. I think a lot of guys that do normal rallies around at least Mexico and some around the world would love this event because of its technical challenge, mm-hmm. 
it's terrain. The visual aspects are phenomenal. And just to be able to rip your bike through, you know, just hard, wet, rock, roots, dark, dirt. You know, most rally guys don't see dark dirt. Like we see, we just don't see dark dirt, you know? Arid desert, sand dunes. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, day one was a, he put us out on day one, which was a long day. It was a 240 kilometer day. Uh, Johnson, another guy, Warren Healy. Warren Healy, I think, runs uh, uh, Enduro Tech Suspension down in and Denver, he overalled it last year, mm-hmm. really fast guy. Um, and then, and then this, this kid, I guess, kid, mid thirties guy named Constantine wrapped us, I think pulled up top five. And we all looked at him and like, what? Cause we all walked over and he had a kickstart only Yamaha, um, <laughs> with barely enough fuel to survive and a battery operated, um, road book siren, rally comp ico package he had everything was fully battery operated and i walked over and i'm like nice job and i'm like and you made it and the equipment made it and he and uh his equipment made it the whole day he was he did a great job the whole week um we were real impressed for a guy that had never rallied before and showed up with battery operated equipment that he was able to accomplish the whole feat so he, he took fifth on day one and then we kind of missed him a couple of days and then he magically pulled up on day fourth into third place and finished uh, behind Johnson and I, and we kept, you know, shoulder check. And this is a guy to watch coming into some of the Mexico rallies. I think, you know, mm-hmm. man. And it's, yeah, good. I mean, it's, I'm, it sounds like we got more newcomers. I, I hadn't seen that, that name before, but I'm looking at the, at the times uh, on the Kota rally Instagram. <laughs> And seeing some of the stuff. And man, yeah, you and Johnson really did go back and forth on it. <laughs> it oh, but, you know, it uh, day four was, was it day four or day three? We had, it was day three. Day three, mm-hmm. uh, he put us into some OP sections. And those, you know, it's hard enough to get OP in the United States. And so he found us some OP here and there. And mm-hmm. he had a couple of really good long OP sections on day three that, it got most everybody. I got really lucky and I just managed to keep and connect into my waypoints. Mm-hmm. I think they had four meter radiuses, so they weren't, weren't the easiest ones to connect to. And, uh, Johnson, Johnson took a couple penalties and it really, you know, it really put us into the game for the last day four and day five. It was, uh, it was interesting in the pits and it was, uh, <laughs> you know, we both entered into a, uh, Bennonite Hill on day four, Mm-hmm. Um, I let out at, uh, the, the Kota guys did some crazy different types of starts. They had, they had the computer do a randomizer and we all started under a randomizer based off of what the computer generated. They had a day where they let out, uh, uh worst to best. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a day where they let out, uh, worst guy, last guy, best guy, second last, second best. And so, so the uh, change up of orders was pretty cool. On day four, I, I got out second and, and quickly got up on front and got into this hill that just dropped me right to the ground. Um, and I, I was wearing my, uh, brand new Alpenstar air vest, which totally went off for me. Nice. Uh, so that was an experience that I, I kind of wanted to understand before I got to the Dakar. I just really didn't want it to happen, you know. Yeah. No, so, sure. yeah, and I stood up and I was, you know, a completely inflated, you know, arm, you know, chest, back, neck, and I'm like, what the hell just happened, right? Yeah. So, uh, 
uh, and you know, that was, that was pretty crazy. And then it slowed down and then Johnson cut up to me and we got into the mud section. So we worked together and got out and then continued along on our race. And, uh, you know, I think coming in day four, there was five and six, six and a half minutes separating us leaving day four. So, yeah. uh, you know, with 120 kilometer day. And at that point, my goal was to just, uh, be smooth and stable and hold on and not him let not let him pick up time and i was and i was leading out you know so it was uh it was some added challenge so i let out all day and just in my brain going i know johnson's fast and he's two minutes behind me and at some point he's going to catch me and you know and uh and he did he caught me but he caught me into the pavement coming back into the montrose fairgrounds as we finished so it was a it was pretty cool we got to finish together and uh uh mike and i've been been racing for a long time i've never i've never bested the man and so it was uh it was a great race for both of us it was a great race for me it was a great race for everybody it's cool i had a lot of fun no it looks uh i mean it looks like it i mean just looking at the times yeah he um you guys what stage one uh six and seven so 13 minutes apart uh he was faster and then the next day 10 minutes he was faster and then yeah just like you said stage three 15 and 25 35 minutes in that uh in those penalties so that that was the game changer there was was day three so man that's <laughs> i can imagine what the bivouac was like i know i know you too when you guys are in the bivouac so <laughs> we, we don't pick quite as bad as him and my brother jim but we do throw it down a little bit and uh <laughs> uh with good love you know it's been uh it's just great awesome riding with him and we you know we had a couple guys like gavin uh ferguson was just was a good solid talent and had come into it and just started rallying i think he was down at snore for the first time mm-hmm. uh warren healy who uh who i think overall the best in the desert vegas reno 500 a couple years ago mm-hmm. uh you know, did this one this year. He had a, I think he had a pretty solid face plan into his whole rally comp equipment mm-hmm. on day three or four that, um, that slowed him down a little bit. And I think he pulled in, I, I'm not looking at the stats, but I think he pulled in fourth, um, overall, but, uh, he was in and out of it all week for us as well too. So, you know, in the, 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 the crazy thing for me and the best part of this, or at least a huge part of it was, it was all Malimoto. We were living in a box, mm-hmm. dealing with our own tent, our own food, our own cooking supplies, our own mechanical. Uh, we had the good graces of the Freedom Rally uh, support truck there, and they were awesome. Uh, they, you know, there were things they were just limited to do, but the things that they were capable to provide us, which was, you know, uh, some tools, a, a place to stay, you know, to really work on stuff. And so we had a lot of guys that got through the effort of that race with the help of the Freedom crew. So what um, uh, what the boys did there with, uh, Scotty and Robert and, uh, Ashton was awesome. And so that was, that was really kind of neat, you know? So, nice. um, yeah, yeah, I was, uh, I was surprised. It was a big tester for me. I tested all my equipment for Dakar. So the, the climb gear was phenomenal. Uh, their helmets are top notch. And so it was really, you know, kind of breaking in the whole jacket pants and, and, uh, internal comb- combos. And yeah. so it was, uh, it was a good smooth day. I, I, uh, I was just looking to go enjoy myself and it ended up being a, uh, a solid day for me. So I, I can't complain. Nice. And so, I mean, that, that was something that I was going to ask you guys. Cause I just saw that they had, uh, one of their recent Instagram posts. They, they posted some different gear, uh, that they've got. It's like more, they're going more for that shell type thing, less, less padding in it, but then you wear the armor underneath. What, what do you guys use? What's, what's the, the Dakar, set up for you guys what helmet what what pants jacket if i wanted to go buy it 
Yeah, the uh, for us from the climb side of it, uh, we're wearing the F5 helmets. Well, I have an F3 right now that I've been testing. It's a little bit lighter than the F5, but doesn't have the same internal padding. Uh, the F5s will be the, the helmets we use at the Dakar. Uh, and then uh, we're really sporting pretty much the Dakar series from climb jacket pants gloves um we've been experimenting with uh, inner liners but to your point yep. the the, uh, the dakar uh, i was testing the alpenstar body airbag vest <laughs> uh climb has one too that's next up on my list to test out here at the baja or the sonora mm-hmm. and then based on how those tests goes we'll figure out what happens at the dakar but the you know, to have the vest go off, uh, and the jacket was just right and tight and fitted enough that it handled it all. So, you know, the, the Dakar jacket took some weathering up here because it's, you know, we got rain three out of the five days and we all got soaked. And, uh, uh, so I carried a little, uh, uh, their inversion kind of rain jacket that went into the back pocket of the, of the Dakar jacket, yeah. put that on a couple of times and was, was, was well taken care of as far as wind and rain goes. So it was a, it was a good kit. Their their uh, their gloves and goggles are just top notch. They they really make quality stuff. I can't I can't even begin to tell you how impressed I've been with just the build, where the zippers are. They thought through stuff, you know. So um, yeah, we talked. You know, there was no there's no water pocket on the Dakar jacket, which was an initial concern for us. Mm-hmm. But I think between the two air vests that have them, it won't be really an issue, okay. and uh, and they'll they'll work pretty well, you know. So uh, yeah. So it was, it was good, good equipment testing for sure. Nice. And so, uh, water pocket, uh, that, like for time cards and stuff like that, is that what you're talking about or, uh, uh camelback pocket, uh, oh. three liter packet. So there's, mm-hmm. there's, you know, they, there isn't one on the Dakar jacket, which was originally a concern, but the way that the vests are designed, they carry the water. And so, um, that it all seems to work. So it was part of my break in for that i'm like you know some of it's just the routine you get into every day right like you finish the day and what do you do right i mean uh for me i was i went right into the mode of repacking my jacket with all the food and supplies refilling my water setting up tent Mm -hmm. getting all my stuff in there and then eating again going into the maintenance department uh you know i uh because the kota was what it was we were all playing the dot game and uh, so two out of the five days, I've managed to rotate the uh, rubber on the rim a little bit enough to tweak my air uh, stems on both tires just from braking. And so I, I had to pop the, the, the beads on the rims and reset the tubes and, uh, uh, and reinflate and keep on going. So I did that twice over the five days, you know, no. so uh, – it was just so rocky, you know, it was just the, your wheels were taking a beating and, um, my DOT tires <laughs> survived the entire trip. Um, probably are concrete enough to survive a couple more rallies. I hope I don't have to use them, but they, they did the job, you know? Nice. Yeah. That, that was something that, um, a lot of people kind of mentioned about the Kotar rally. Um, that, oh, you know, you all these rules because of the DOT stuff and all of that stuff. I mean, you, did you really, was there really any kind of hindrance? Like, I mean, anything that you were like, ah, oh, this really, really sucks. Like it would cause you to not want to run it. I and mean, that may be a touchy question, but. 
Yeah, you know, and and, and uh, I think the one the the last minute thing that just came from government officials that that the organization had to deal with was was in Grand County, which is near, which is kind of part of the whole Moab life. Was they they put a um, EPA OEM uh, exhaust restriction on us? So uh, for me, it was a struggle just to say, "Oh my God, do I have my stock exhaust?" Which I did. And I put it on and I'm like, wow, it's really quiet. So I didn't even use uh, earplugs for the event <laughs> and the bike, the bike performed really well. So, you know, I, I, I humped my, my mirror, my horn on, um, we didn't uh, by requirement, we didn't need to have turn signals. Unfortunately, I made a high low beam kind of operate. And so I got past that hump. Uh, you know, I think the biggest scary, com- uh, thing for me, I was worried about was just tires, right? Cause I was just after you rally a while, you get so used to having moose bibs. Mm-hmm. And so you, you gain a level of level of confidence, right? I mean, you just, you know, in, in the desert, you look at that cactus and you say, screw it, I'm going to hit it. doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, in the rock sections, you, you're, you're just not so worried about the pinch flats. Mm-hmm. And so that, that changes when you do this race, because you have to manage tires and you have to make sure that you can survive it. You know, there were guys that were fixing flats on the trail and, you know, my, I knew that this was a time event and it was going to play down to any mechanical stop was going to put you back on the clock. And so, um, so it was, it was a big thing for me every night to just go through the bike and make sure there was nothing that was going to stop. You know, I had a, a gear shift that started to loosen up. And so I caught a couple things early in the game that, that uh, did it I, uh, midway through day three something started vibrating on my bike, like just humming, like just freaking me out. Like, you know, something's going to break. I I thought it was transmission. I stopped twice. I couldn't figure it out, you know, and, uh, and then about 30 K into the, you know, annoying vibration, my, the mirror or the glass on my mirror, on my uh, mirror, let go and everything calmed down again. And I'm like, Oh, thank God. And, uh, so I ran the event without a mirror, which was, was what it was, but I was like, you know, so there were a couple of pieces of equipment on your bike that you're not normally used to, but, mm-hmm. um, it's fairly easy to get over the hump and it's worth the terrain. It's worth the camaraderie, the camping in the mountains. Uh, it's, uh, it's totally worth that type of Mali moto experience here. I look forward to the tweaks and the twists that, uh, Mike and Scott put onto it next year. And I'm, I'm fairly confident I'll be involved in some capacity because it was, it was, it was, it was well worth it. It was well worth it. Nice. Yeah. And that's, you know, from what you, what you're describing and what your experience was, is that does sound like the, the rally, like the experience, right. And, and this really does, you know, for a lot of people that do want to go racing and, and really crack it open and do all that stuff like, you know, yeah, you, you won't be able to do that, but it's the game of chess. This rally sounds like a lot more of that than, than anything else, you know, and, and managing everything mechanical. Yeah. It, for, uh, it was funny for me. It, and I guess I'm getting a little old Victor, but for me, it, it boiled down to pee breaks. Right. Like the, the first day I wasn't really thinking, I got up on the ride, did my thing. And I, you know, my, my wife and I have been working on nutrition for the Dakar. And so this was also a test for me to try a whole bunch of nutritional supplements. So I, I had a, I've never been a guy to do powders or, you know, pop supplements. I've just never been that guy. Mm-hmm. And so I said, but I knew at the Dakar, 
I'm going to have to have carbo reload shakes in the morning, you know, after riding and an energizer shake in the morning and some of those things. So I, I started doing that. So I was pounding water and liquid early into the game. And so I got on the first day and I had to stop three times to pee. Right. And I'm like, and I'm like, Oh my God. And, and, uh, you know, I finished the day and, you know, we were separated. Mike and I were separated by six or seven minutes. I'm like, that was all, those were all pee minutes for me. <laughs> and, uh, and the next day I, you know, I had to stop a couple times and day four I stopped. And then day five, we were, you know, everything was tight and we were five and a half minutes. And I'm like, my God, I'm not going to stop, you know, and it's 120 K and about 80 K in, I'm like, I got to go pee. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then you got to make a tough decision in life. Mm-hmm. Do you stop or don't you stop? Yeah. So, <laughs> or do I deal with this the rest of the day? <laughs> well, yep. oh no, I peed twice that day. Uh, I didn't stop once, but I did pee twice. So, <laughs> the you know, then it gives me the and I've seen it and I just haven't been able to confirm. But I do think that some guys are out there wearing the catheters and they've got some kind of hole or somehow they they've gotten gotten it through the pants on top of the boot or before the boot. So, yeah, I saw, I saw the kid, you know, I mean, uh, if you remember our last podcast together, some of the funny moments that we had was we all started talking about butt management, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think, I think people forget the other sensitive conversation, which is pee management. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I, I ran into one of the guys on the rally who was a pediatric doctor, uh, sharp guy i'm gonna try and remember his name and i believe it was mike mm-hmm. um and he was sporting the full catheter condom tube mm-hmm. so he you know we we talked through the kid I'm, I'm probably gonna order it i'm gonna try i'm for baja or sonoria because i'm you know because if you're 30 i guess you can make it and when you're 50 things in your life change and mm-hmm. you know uh vibrating a motorcycle for for hours on time <laughs> does mm-hmm. something so i'm i'm gonna try I'll, I'll give you feedback here after the next couple of rallies if you if you're if you and your audience wants that disgusting type of conversation it's the, uh, there's it's, some it's width the measurement and stuff yeah, no, it's the things that people don't, uh, you know, that, that don't understand or, or, you know, some of the stuff like, well, what happens when you have to pee? Well, <laughs> you get two choices. <laughs> now three, if you go with the, the catheter route. But, um, but I mean, I, I hear you. I've, I've been in a race car, you know, getting jostled around and it's like, I should not have drank all that water, you know, and <laughs> it's, it, it is life choices <laughs> right and the, the guy in the, the guy driving the race car he's not stopping for you i can tell you that no. so you know hard, hard enough i had two guys on my shoulder riding down the race you know the white one and the red one going just keep going just keep going he's like no stop mm-hmm. so it was uh it was one of those days uh to the good credit i and uh, one of our sponsors for the ARO side of the game was uh, Seat Concepts, so they were they were kind enough to produce a set of seats for us for the for uh, for our race endeavors. So they did a great job, and thank God I had them because they did, you know, to run a stock seat would have been a mess yeah. at that type of event. What? Uh, same thing with the Dakar. Yeah, I know. I hear you. Well, and that's and that's something that on the the five hundred one that I have, I've been looking at. I, I got the fancy Seo de la Valle seat cover, you know, because I wanted it to look factory, but I'm looking at this thing. I'm all, well, it's a two by four. I mean, literally this is a two by four with a foam sprinkling on there. The seat concept seat. Was it anyone in particular? Is it like just more of a custom one where it's still narrow, but just taller? 
the boys uh, were awesome. Uh, Robert and Austin, the gang, they, uh, there's a couple different variations. And so, uh, uh, you know, even our group of five guys have their own, you know, oh. likes, you know, Mo, Mo likes a little softer, Jim likes it super firm. And so, but we, we designed an initial base for the RFRs correctly. And so they, they raised them about a three quarter of an inch for us. And then uh, at the back, they, they shaped them out almost to the shape of the gas tank. So they become useful in high speed gripping and the backs are flat enough that when you are sitting on them for liaison sections, they're really comfortable. So the, the overall design of them was, was factored around the shape of the new, of the RFRs. So he, they really did customize them and, uh, and they're, they're a little bit, mine is a firm plus one and it's a little bit more firm than a standard uh factory one okay. it's a little bit taller for my 6.2 frame and it but it's far more comfortable than the than the plank you get on the stock you know they just stock is what stock is they build them for a stock guy and, and that's rarely any of us you know yeah exactly no well that's good i mean in that and because yeah i got a feeling you guys are going to spend some hours on these bikes yeah, the other uh, grief I got a little bit was uh, um, I'm uh, for 25 years I've been using an auto clutch, so I run a I run a recluse system in my bike, mm-hmm. and uh, here in the Rockies is where it really plays in well because I don't as much as I never saw sixth, I don't know if I ever saw first either, mm-hmm. um, but I can tell you I grunted up some hills in second gear with you know full full rock debris everywhere that that i think ultimately uh played well to my my uh ability to survive that and to come out of it still feeling uncomfortable and not tired you know nice that's good i mean yep. and that and that's and that is not common either you don't see very many people running the recluse uh out down in baja or any of the other places you know they're all on the standard basically a standard setup yeah, I'll, I'll be running recluse at the Dakar this year. So I've had, oh. I've had uh, the boys have stepped up, and I've been using them for so long. We've we uh, they've designed a system. Uh, it's been proven at the Dakar more than once over the years, mm-hmm. and, and so uh, I will be running that. Uh, contrary to the arguments my brother and I may have about it, so. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, there's lovers and haters to that system, mm-hmm. and. Um, uh, I think uh, my brother and I are certainly those guys, and so we have our debates yeah. usually over a whiskey somewhere deep into a dinner. You know, so um. <laughs> I I always like the idea of uh, left hand brake, left hand rear brake. You know, to get you know, I, but I don't know. You I totally have. Really the, I, I have. Yeah, and I have so I have been so close over the years of buying that left hand brake kit. Mm-hmm. I, I I just. Uh, I had one of the initial systems, uh, even before Recluse was in business. It was uh, there was another company called Revlock, and so I had one of those initial ones. Mm-hmm. And when Recluse came out, they put out a uh, some new tech, and you could get the 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 um, brake lever, but they also provided you a clutch. And so I still use the clutch in a lot of capacities, mm-hmm. and so I, I really haven't been able to let go of the clutch. Um, and replace it with the brake or add to, I think that's just too much, too much brain power for me. Yeah. You know? No, I hear you. Yeah. They, um, I actually, so on the 501, uh, and I think you guys ran up to her. I, I bought Donnie's, uh, Donnie Reddington's old, uh, 501 that she used a lot as a motomedic, uh, down at Baja rally. And she had an ox brake set up on it. It's, and it's basically a little hydraulic, um, cylinder, 
that replaces the Heim joint on the rear brake cylinder or rear brake master and with a mountain bike bike brake lever. So it's a really clever setup. And I was just curious, like, you know, with having a recluse, I think that might be the, uh, might be kind of the setup because I feel like you're going to have more control in certain spots where it is tricky, uh, or being able to do certain maneuvers, uh, sliding the bike and, and stuff like that. You know, I, I, what is it? Uh, sliding to the left bike slide out, stepping out to him where the rear brake would be on the low side. Yeah, I, I uh, yeah, sliding out to the right. But yes, I think uh, I think that's that that would be one of the key places that would make sense. And in really tough technical terrain, like I, I occasionally freewheel down some of the hardest of stuff. And so sometimes having the two brakes up top, like a bicycle, even although reversed, mm-hmm. would play play play. But I, again, I'm I'm still so in love with the clutch capacity that the recluse provides me. Yeah, um, I really use predominantly it just doesn't doesn't allow me to stall anymore and i can second third gear rear brake lock it up in the corners yeah and not have to worry about it or or killing the engine and then having it bump start again on its own as you let go totally i agree yeah Uh, so it's it's just one of those you know it is it is where it is um and i think the technology is good enough i don't i just don't want to mess with it i just don't i'm not ready to add another brain component to my you know <laughs> muscle memory to try to figure out oh my god was that the clutch lever or the brake lever you know <laughs> yeah exactly yeah that could be a little bit uh yeah you're either going to get the bike to power up even harder or, or get that front wheel off the ground or you're going to slide it you know when one or the other so nice <laughs> well cool well i know you're uh, i know you're traveling i'll let you get back on the road um but you know and then on the road to arizona i got a, a box headed your way uh here shortly as well so uh, you'll get that when you get out, uh, get out there and, and yeah. Awesome, sir. I appreciate yeah. you calling me. Yeah. I, uh, it's been, uh, it was cool to do this event and, and come away with the win. I wasn't really expecting. And so I, am I going to see you down at the Baja? Yes, sir. Yeah, I'll be down there. I'll be down there for a few days. I can't stay there the whole time, but I'll be down there for a few days. And then, uh, and then Sonora rally is still on the books. So I'll be down for that as well. Perfect. Well, we'll be making the rounds together, my friend. So I I look forward to seeing you for sure. Awesome. Safe travels. And once again, congrats on the win. All right, Victor. Thank you, buddy. Have a good day. You You too. See ya. Talk. Okay. All right. So second year Kota rally. Well, I helped validate the routes uh, last year. And then this is my first year racing the event. Nice. And how was it like being on the other side of the table? validating routes versus racing it well i mean it's a lot more relaxed just uh, validating a route of course and uh, it's interesting to interface with the organizer but uh, you know i'm I'm a racer at heart so I, I prefer racing nice and that was a very good time so nice yeah this was uh from from what i've heard this year had its uh had its challenges the the preview show we were talking about the terrain and and possibly weather and stuff like that and it sounds like you guys got a little bit of everything right yeah, well, um, I mean, the terrain was basically the same as what I had seen last year, but uh, there was a lot of a uh, lot of rain and overcast and a lot of dew in the evenings, which were were doing Mali Moto and sleeping in tents. So there was a lot of humidity and uh, a lot of mud to deal with, slippery rocks. So um, it was definitely uh, a lot more difficult than what I had seen in the prior year. Nice, and so I've. 
that was, uh, I mean, you had, you guys, uh, looking at the time between uh, you and Pearson, uh, you know, you came out uh, second this year. Um, it looks like it was definitely a, a, a good rally, but definitely had its challenges. And I think you guys ended up only being three minutes apart in the in the whole thing at the end. Yeah, that's right. I, I ended up, um, you know, I slowly um, making time on him. I won four out of the five stages, but I made a, just a huge error on a, uh, a technical HP section. I read the wrong, um, the wrong cap heading out of the road book cost me about 35 minutes. And, uh, you know, the rest of the time I was just trying to make up for that and, and just in the end, wasn't able to do it. So yeah, ended up second, uh, Dave took first and, uh, I know he's been training a lot, so he nailed that section and, you know, so that's what he needs to be doing when he goes to the Dakar. So, you know, that's great that he did that. Yeah. And the, so what was the, I mean, a lot of people don't, don't that are listening to the show may not know the, like the whole HP side of things. Um, yeah. So HP, it's this French for horse piste. And, and actually the nomenclature has changed recently to OP for off piste. But what that means is uh, it's an off-road section where you have no roads and you're basically following a compass heading and, um, the, this rally has probably some of the most difficult off piste sections that I've seen in any rally because the terrain is super technical, yet you're trying to basically go in a straight line where it's, it's physically not possible. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so that, that's what makes it so complicated in the, in this particular case. So, I mean, we're going through fingers of mount, you know, over mountains, through you know, uh, rutted fingers and valleys and ditches and, and everything trying to go in a straight line to get to a, to the waypoint that we need to collect. And, uh, and unfortunately I, uh, picked up on the wrong heading in my head when I looked into the road book and, and went completely the wrong direction, about 80 degrees off course for a long ways. And, uh, and then ended up having to open a waypoint and, and, uh, and I was still, I still had a long ways to go through this technical terrain just to get to the waypoint. So I took a penalty for that. Um, it cost me a lot of extra time just riding around. Um, and then I was flustered after that and not navigating as well as I normally would either. So, um, you know, put all that together, the whole situation ended up costing me 35 minutes. Wow. So, but even very, very significant. And, and that those things happen sometimes, you know, you, I, you know, something similar happened to Ricky, uh, uh, last year, or the year before in the Dakar. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, you know, that kind of, he made him very, very difficult to recover. I don't, I don't think he ever did for the, for the event. So, I mean, it happens and, and it did, it happened to me this time, but I learned from it. I always reflect on, the mistakes that I've made afterwards, you know, figuring out the root cause of why I made the mistake and then figuring out what I'm going to do to prevent it in the future. Mm-hmm. So. Now, now that, and that's something interesting. I've, I've always thought that for a lot of people that once they get past the hurdle of like, okay, I'm going to try rally. The next thing that they get stuck on is, is what to do when lost. And I think HP sections are probably the worst for that, right? Because there's really usually no road, no nothing. You're just kind of picking your way through stuff. Yeah. Once you made a mistake to the magnitude that I did, mm-hmm. uh, it's really hard to get unlost. And um, usually if you if I had been on the right heading and I got where I thought I was in range of the waypoint, there's things like gridding, you know, doing a grid or just you know, knowing that I'm on one side or the other of the waypoint where I can, you know, 
put some logic to trying to find that waypoint. But when you've done the mistake, that the massive mistake that I did, I had no choice, but luckily I've, I, we're running the rally comp and I was able to open a waypoint, take a 10 minute penalty for doing so. And I get an arrow and a distance over to the waypoint. And then when I get there, I can, you know, reset my navigation equipment and continue on where I, where I should have been in the first place. Mm-hmm. And and the the secret there, right, is all you got to do is get within the open radius, right? Of the well, no. Once you open the waypoint, you're going to have the arrow. Yeah. Well, I was I was several kilometers away from where I should have been oh, at sure. that point, and when so when I opened it, I had an arrow guiding me to the waypoint and the distance on the rally comp showing me basically a countdown as I approached it, how far away I was. Now, if I had to come in on the proper direction on this particular waypoint, it was a 400 meter radius, so I would have have had to been within 400 meters of that waypoint to get that arrow mm-hmm. opened up with the distance that would guide me to the center of the waypoint. And then I would look at the next instruction in the road book and continue on on the next heading looking for the next waypoint. Mm-hmm. Which, which, I mean, and that still, even with, you know, as you mentioned, you know, being being a mistake and, and that happening and, and it's going to happen. I mean, anybody that gets into rally is eventually going to get into this kind of a situation yep. still 35 minutes down, but at the end of the day, the overall was still only a three minute gap. So where, yeah. or what was it? Two minutes? It was it two or three. It was two or three minutes, you yeah. know, but we're uh, really, really close. I mean, yeah. I, I was ever since I'm, since I made that mistake, I was struggling every, every day, every minute to, to make up every second that I could. Uh, to try to get that lead back. And I just, you know, in the end, just didn't have enough uh, miles or kilometers to, to make up that time. I was steadily making time, but just wasn't able to overcome that hurdle I'd created for myself. Well, and that's like when we, when we tell or, or talk to people, I remember we were down at the sanking team training and that was something that was brought up a couple of times about riding over your head to try and make up time and, and, and do that stuff. And, and that's like we were saying, it's, you're talking about the importance of that. It's like, Hey, you know what? It's worth, you know, each, each waypoint, making sure you get it, you know, taking your time navigating. Cause you know, it's, it's easy to go from one, one mistake to the next, if you're trying to make it up time. Oh yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I'm in a, I was in a situation where I'm doing everything I can mm-hmm. to try to make up time, which makes me susceptible to potentially making more mistakes. Mm-hmm. And then Dave is sitting there, you know, with a comfortable lead and he's able to relax and make sure he doesn't make any mistakes. Yeah. Uh, fortunately I didn't make any other mistakes. So that's why it was, it was so close in the end, but yeah, definitely I could have, you know, trying to push so hard, I could have, you know, made another mistake and then it would have been all over. So, yeah. But that, I mean, that is, I mean, your experience, I mean, you've done, I'm, I, how many rallies have you done? I mean, aside from creating the rally comp, right. That we, <laughs> that all the North American rallies use now at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've done, uh, I mean, I've, I've done virtually, I've been to every Baja rally, every Sonora rally. I didn't race when I introduced the the rally comp at each of those events. I didn't race that year, but every other year I've raced those events. Um, I've done the Dakar, the Africa eco race, the Australian safari, Andalusia, um, uh, trying to think of, other big rallies that I've done. I've done the coast to coast rally, the Kota rally now, mm-hmm. uh, Nora rally a few times. Um, 
Uh, the list goes on and on. I've, I've been an enthusiast for, you know, 10 or 12 years now and just doing uh, maybe one major rally per year and then all the local rallies around here. So I've done, done a lot of events. I've got a lot of experience. So, But I still still make mistakes. That's the way it always is, you know, in, in rally. And uh, you're always learning. There's always something to learn, which always keeps it keeps it interesting. You're you're never you're you're never done learning in rally. Yeah. So makes it fun all the time. Right. And where I mean, with with the experience you've done and all that, where does the the Kota rally like? Is there another rally that you've raced that kind of compares to Kota rally terrain wise? I would say the next closest thing would be the Yellowstone rally, which I did the last couple of years as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, they're very technical rallies, kind of different than anything else, kind of a very different flavor. And, and then at the Kota rally, we have, there's a lot of speed zones because it's a fully, um, permitted rally and they're, they're getting all the government approvals that the government agencies and, and local authorities are setting speed limits on the race, which, um, makes it a lot different than, than, a typical rally that you would be in, be in. even though uh, most rallies do have speed zones as you go through a village or a town or, you know, a very dangerous area, they might slow you down. Um, but uh, the Kota rally for them to get all their permits in place, they had to have a lot of speed zones, basically different levels of speed zone over the entire event. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And I mean, and then, they they did something that was very difficult and they got all these agencies to say okay we'll give you a shot and yep. so you know yeah if they say and that's typically what well, at least what i've seen down in baja it's usually a, a ranch owner or a landowner saying you know we'll let you through but no racing you know you got to keep it you know at right reasonable yep. pace but this is yep. basically what yep. they're saying and the rally comp controls that speed with a, uh, a series of beeps when you're getting close to the speed limit and then a constant tone when you when you're over the speed limit and and also you'll start accruing penalties at that point yeah yeah which is always uh it, it's it's i've heard it from a lot of people to stay right on the beep stay right on you know right at that like you know the fastest way to the end of the speed zone is to literally be right on the bubble of that beep. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one thing that I was doing to, to try to make up time was just staying focused. I mean, a tremendous amount of focus to, to stay right on the edge of the speed limit without going over and accruing penalties. Cause the penalties way outweigh any gain you might get if you're trying to push it too, too far, you yeah. know? Yeah. There's no like, okay, I'm going to speed really quick in this section because it's going to net me a, a better result you know, yeah, overall. There, there, <laughs> yeah, none of that. there's no net better result when you're in the trend of speed. No, no, you got to ride. Now the only re- best result you can get is riding as close to the edge as you can. And if you, if you go too far, then it's going to cost you in the end. So yeah. um, it, it's difficult to, you know, to do it for hours on end. Yeah. Well, and, and so that's, that's the question that I wanted to ask too, is like, okay, well let's, you know, stage three was where that happened. So throwing that out and just looking at the other stage times consistently, you know, it was, uh, base almost 10 minutes per stage, eight to 10 minutes faster, um, than Dave, uh, on each of the other stages. Uh, was there like, do you think there was something, obviously you were doing something better or you were more efficient at something in particular, can you yeah, I mean, I, I think um, 
I, I was riding on the edge of the speed limits more, especially after after that situation happened where he was more comfortable knowing that he had a, had a nice lead and he didn't have to push that envelope, knowing that if he pushed the envelope and got speed penalties, well, that might close the gap on him. Mm. So, I mean, I, I assume that's what he was thinking. I, you know, most racers would think that way. So, um, you know, I'm having to push it. He's, he's able to relax. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I, uh, I won the first couple stages before that and put mm. a few minutes, you know, on, on, and I think it was, I mean, I, I was pushing those, I knew because of the format of the race that, that the speed zones were going to be an important part of, of winning and doing my best. So I was focused on the speed, maximizing the speed zones from the beginning, you know, and then, then there's times when you're not in the speed zone and it's kind of hard to transition where you're being, your speed's being held down and all of a sudden the pace transitions to a much faster pace because you've gotten into a faster zone mm -hmm. and sometimes it's hard to transition. And I was really focused on making that transition efficiently and quickly. Mm -hmm. And that's so I'm basically going from a non-race mode, being slowed down in a slow speed limit to a race mode and, and, and knowing that I needed to, you know, transition quick and, and making sure I did that where other racers might get lulled into, um, you know, the, the slower speed and it might take them a while to get back and, you know, get into a, a faster pace. Mm -hmm. So, and that's what we're talking about. Like the, where the speed zone might bump up from being a 35 kilometers or 40 or 50 kilometers an hour. And then all of a sudden it jumps up to 90. Is that like yeah, what you're talking about? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, exactly. So anticipating yep. and, that. And, and I had thought, of, you know, I thought typically when I'm racing, especially in rally, there's, there's a lot of thought and planning and, and, um, that goes into, you know, what you're going to do at a specific rally. And typically when I go into a rally, I think about what the parameters are for that rally and what I'm going to do to use my skills to the best, uh, to my advantage. So, um, I had thought about all that ahead of time, mm -hmm. you know, going into this rally on how I was going to do well, mm -hmm. uh, with the limitations of primarily the speed limit, you know? So, um, that, that's what I did. Yeah. And I don't know, I don't know if other people were doing that. I heard comments from other people saying, you know, that they, well, yeah, I was having trouble transitioning. Like I said, mm -hmm. you know, from lower speed, it took me a while to get going again. Well, you know, that hurt them, especially because they hadn't thought of it ahead of time. So they kind of learned that, you know, after a couple of days of doing the event, which isn't really what you want to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, I mean, I can see it just like it, it's the same as the, I've talked about this previously on the show, like getting into coming into a speed zone, the anticipating of the speed zone, right? There's the guys that anticipate it and then they show up at one or two kilometers an hour over the speed limit and they're able to rope it in quickly to, to get right on the bubble. And then there's yeah. the guys that completely spaced and came in, you know, race speed, you know, it's like they almost just completely ignored the note in the road book that there was a start of a speed zone there. And then obviously they go straight into penalties. Yeah. Right. And, and that, so that's the other side of it. I was talking about transitioning into a higher speed zone, but there's also, there's also the transition from a fast one to a slow one. Mm -hmm. And because if, if you come into a speed zone really fast, a lower speed speed zone really fast, and you're like five, 10 K over the speed limit speed, you accrue massive penalties. Mm -hmm. So that's a really bad thing to do. So I'm actually very cautious when entering a, a slower speed zone. 
I probably, you know, a hundred meters or 200 meters before that I start slowing down. I, I don't try to maximize, I don't try to gain time with charging into a slower speed zone. That that's definitely a losing strategy as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. You know, some guys try to do it, but, but uh, I, I prefer to slow down, make sure I'm entering that, that slower speed zone at the right speed and then start to maximize my pace, uh, you know, after that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I've seen it. <laughs> We've seen yeah, it a few yeah. times and, you know, so, so that happened at the rally too. Many people came in after the first day with some very significant speed penalties, you know, and they're, and they realized afterwards, you know, what, what they needed to do different. Now I do a rally comp, you know, training at the, you know, before the event. And I, I point some of that stuff out, mm-hmm. you know, what, what they need to do, how they need to do handle those, those speed zones. Don't come charging into it. And then, and then when they come in and at the end of the stage and I'm like, well, I told you, but let me explain it again. Here's what you need to do. So that you're not accruing these massive penalties. Mm-hmm. And, and then everybody, you know, by the second stage uh, or second or third stage, they, they've learned their lesson and, and we don't see that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> They they stop being so brave coming into the speed zone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now there are other people there that have experience with the rally comp. I mean, Dave's used the the rally comp many times in the past, and others as well that were there. Yeah. Um, but the guys that hadn't, you know, or either they were daydreaming and didn't realize what the the penalties would be if they did that, or they just didn't understand the way that it worked. So yeah. um, that's a that's an expensive learning process there. Yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, and we've seen it, you know, we've seen it a couple of times uh, as, as a uh, race director formally and working on the, with the rally comp files and seeing all that and, and being able to take a peek into where they were at in, in their speed coming into a speed zone. And you can see, you know, that's like, you know, I didn't see it or it wasn't clearly marked in the road book. And I go, well, the road book was there. The rally comp was warning. I mean, it's like you had all of these things going for you. And you just ignored it or, you know, just, and I get it. I mean, as racers, right. You're, you're, you're hot. You're, you're coming in, you're, you're, you're focused on speed and, and making it happen. And well, it's, it's, yeah, it's easy. And, to... <laughs> and, and, and different devices actually are, you know, have different algorithms built into them. Now, apparently, you know, the one at the Dakar that, that Ricky and, and those pro guys were used to, mm-hmm. they could charge right in and, and on a full buzzer, as long as they slowed down, you know, in a, in a reasonable amount of time, they wouldn't get any penalties. Now the rally comp doesn't work like that. You know, it, it gives you two seconds to slow down. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're coming in, you know, 20 kilometers over the pace, two seconds isn't enough to slow down to get you under the, yeah. under the limit. So, um, but, but they learned, you know, they came in their first event using the rally comp, realized it was a different device and reacted appropriately and, and then didn't have any, you know, any of those kind of penalties after that. Yeah. They, they adapted quickly to that, which yeah. I, you know, because I know the, you know, I don't know how, like I'm thinking right from the race organization side of it. If you know that your device will, uh, will allow for more leeway coming in hot to a speed zone, then you start the speed zone maybe a little bit earlier, a, a few meters earlier. So you know that they're going to rope it in because you need to be at this line. You need to be at that speed where at least yeah, that could be. Yeah. They may, they may move the waypoint a little bit because of that situation. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
where in this case, I mean, no, it's like the speed zone needs to start at this property line or at this particular line in the sand because you're crossing into whatever territory or whatever it is, you know, in this case, um, you know, it, that's exactly where it's at. So I think it, yeah. it adds a, it, it adds a challenge to it. Um, you know, I've, I've heard a couple of people, um, post, you know, kind of talking about, or I've, I've gotten and seen some comments about the, uh, the speed zones. And it seems like the, all these speed zones involved at the Kota rally and, and, you know, but it's, it's kind of necessary. I mean, we're racing, there's, there's a rally, a fully permitted functioning rally in the U S right now. And these are the rules they have to abide by. Um, yeah, you know, I hope that they can, you know, form, they've already got, some, you know, relationships with the, the local authorities, but, you know, they have um, changes in those people, you know, as elections happen and, and then they've got to start all over. And that kind of happened to them on, in some cases this year where they were dealing with new people and that pushed the speed limit down from what it was last year. And that hopefully as they build these relationships and they understand the level of safety that they've got built into the organization that they'll, you know, maybe open it back up. Mm -hmm. That's my hope anyways. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, I think that a lot of them, especially like the BLMs, uh, they, the Bureau of Land Management, you know, they've had to deal with a lot of race, you know, the typical off-road sprint race stuff. And, and the word is out because it's happened for so many years and they understand how dangerous those events can be. And so this whole rally thing is new to them and they don't necessarily understand it. So I, I agree with you. I think a few more events where they see that, Hey, you know what? We don't have to deal with spectators. We don't have to deal with, you know, or there could be spectators, but it's a very different crowd and it's a very, it's a much more controlled environment. Yeah, maybe yeah, they'll they'll uh, loosen up the grip a little bit and and let let the guys go. Yeah, but overall, what what uh, the Kota organization has accomplished is just phenomenal. I mean, when Mike started calling me about it, you know, maybe three three plus years ago, and he was telling me what he was trying to do, you know, I I just thought, you know, I don't know how he's going to accomplish this, but then he called me and said, hey. I got it all done. I'm ready to go. And I was like, wow, that is amazing. And he pulled it off and, and, you know, for an organization in their second year, you know, all their, you know, everything they had was just, just perfect this year. They, unbelievable. And uh, they did a great job of organization, great job of safety, you know, all the fueling of the bikes, all the, bivouacs that we stayed at you know um everybody was camping they had a, a box that they had to have everything everything that they needed for the whole event in that box and then the race organization would transport those boxes every day and and everything just flowed so smoothly it was absolutely incredible so my hats off to the to those guys because they they did a wonderful job yeah and and i would recommend the rally to anyone and everyone um you know um it's just very, very fun event. Yeah. Very different than anything else that I've done as well. Nice. Well, and that's, yeah, you've got, um, I mean, and, and that says a lot. I mean, considering considering the rally resume that you've put together and all the different rallies and stuff that you've done. So, I mean, I think that, I know there's a lot of people that are into that have, I've talked to, um, you know, offline and, and about the events and, and where to get started and all this stuff. What, 
the Malamoto thing was it you know was it really a, a challenge just the idea of having to live out of a box for a week I mean was it I was is well, it fairly it easy to prepare a, it, it, yeah it, I mean they they do a really good job of giving everybody a list of everything they need to to do it and what was nice for me is when I'm when I do, I do a lot of adventure riding, so I camp off my bike and pretty much everything they required was just what I normally carry. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it, it made it easy for me. Somebody starting from scratch, you know, they tell you you need a tent and, and, and a tent and a sleeping bag, such and such a sleeping bag and this, this, that, and the other. And then you're trying to make that all fit in the box. And, um, when I first started, the box is huge. You know, I thought, man, I'm going to have so much room here i'm going to bring my big bedroll not the one i bring on my bike you know i thought i was going to bring a full and and sleep like a queen <laughs> or a king and and in the end there was no room for that for sure and then as the week goes on the box got more and more disorganized which but at the same time you're eating your food that's in the box so that freed up a little extra space and i was still able to make everything fit even after it was the box became a total mess um <laughs> But they, they give you a list of everything you need. And, and, you know, if you get all that stuff, um, you'll be ready for tech inspection. And tech inspection is quite, you know, significant, many items. Mm -hmm. And I spent, I spent several hours getting through tech. Mm -hmm. um, uh, luckily, I had, I had brought, like, my stock exhaust. You have to run a stock, a stock exhaust. I thought I could get away with a forest-approved. Uh, I, I repacked my silencer. They do a sound check. Mm -hmm. and I had repacked my silencer so I, to make it as quiet as possible, and I thought the forest-approved uh, exhaust would work, but no, they wouldn't accept that. So I had brought my stock. I had to put it back on, and I was really concerned that was going to affect my performance, um, which on, on high-speed stuff is, is where I really felt that, but most of the rally, it didn't really impact the, the performance of the bike, so that was fine. Um no bib mooses. You had the bike has to be DOT approved. It's not like uh, they're making these rules for everybody. Um, it's based on the regulations that they have to meet to to be able to put on the rally. So the bike has to be fully DOT approved, which bib mooses aren't. So you have to run tubes. And um, surprisingly, um, there I know of only one flat in the entire event. So, um, I mean, that's, that's pretty good. I mean, if you prep your wheels right with tubes, mm -hmm. um, you can go a long ways, but pretty much the only thing that'll give me a flat is a nail. Um, and it happens, but, um, and not so much when you're on the dirt. So, well, and that, and that says something, cause I think that that makes a lot of people nervous, right? It's like, okay, well, I think maybe what's happened is people have gotten so used to the mooses that yep. they've forgotten all of these, you know, trade secrets of how to keep a tube alive, you know, yeah. and, and, and working. And so for everybody that ran, if you can't recall, like, Oh, there was sections where there was just like, everybody seemed to be parked on the other side with flats, you know, then, then the terrain isn't that bad. You know, I, I mean, relatively speaking, right. That it, it's manageable and you can make it out without having a flat and without having to worry about, okay, I have to run a moose. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you got to run good tubes. You got to set it up right. You need to run, you know, more pressure than you normally would. Cause there's a lot of sharp edge rocks uh, and ledges and things out there on that, on that terrain. And uh, I mean, we used to in Baja for years, we, a bib moose would, would melt in, in the rear. I don't, I don't know if they, they weren't quite to the level they are now. So we always ran tubes in the rear. We were able to run bib mooses in the front. 
but we ran in at best in the desert and Baja for years ran tubes in the rear. And, and I can say we never, ever had a flat on our race bike. So, um, it can be done and you know, you just need to set it up right. Yeah. So, yeah. so you got, uh, so people looking to do it, you just got a little bit of studying to do on, uh, on setting up tubes properly, uh, to, right. to make yep. sure they, yeah. <laughs> they have fun with it. But I mean, other than that, I mean the bike, right. Uh, what are some of the, th- I mean, you got to have a mirror, you got to have, you know, high, low beam turn signals, I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, you have to have a uh, you know, registered, registered street legal bike and that, that covers all of those things. One thing that I didn't have, which I didn't have a horn on my bike. I, I originally did. And I, I don't know, it wasn't there. And so I was really in trouble, but I, I went to Walmart and I bought a little bicycle, uh, horn and mounted on my bike and I made it through tech with that. So, <laughs> I mean, where, where there's a will, there's a way, I guess. So, yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. absolutely. I mean, whatever, whatever it takes to get past the, uh, past the tech, but I mean, it, it, so it doesn't, the cool part about that and what I see is, is that, okay, you don't need a full rally bike. You, you can just go take your EXC or FES, you know, uh, or variations thereof CRF with the plate on it and throw some, you know, nav equipment on it and then you're good to go. Yeah. Yep. Yep. You need a, an odometer and a roll, a road book. Um, they're not doing any electronic stuff at the Kota rally and they don't have any intention of changing, mm-hmm. uh, at this point anyway. Um, but, or you could just, you know, the rally comp gives you all the features you need to be able to navigate, you know, except for the road book. So you could use a road book holder. Uh, we would put the rally comp on your bike. It's got the, the, uh, speed, uh, the odometer and the cap. Matter of fact, I, I run just two rally comps. I have one set for, um, odometer and speed and the other one set for my cap. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's what I run. So, yeah. Um, yeah, there's, there's ways to streamline it where you don't have to, you know, get too deep into it to, to see if you like it or not. But of course you'd want to do some practice before you got there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just mm-hmm. run, run some basic road books and, and just familiarize yourself with it. Yeah. Well, I, I can say there were some guys there at the event that had never, they, they showed up at the event, had never done a road book before. I, there was one and maybe two guys that had never ever done a road book before and um one of them had some trouble occasionally but he he found his way i mean he he made it and and, i mean and this is uh it's subjective right because everybody reads the road book maybe slightly different or gets inside the head of the road book creator but um what do you think about the road books i mean are they are they straightforward i mean you've seen a lot of road books you've done a lot of work on road books yeah, the navigation wasn't particularly difficult. Only that HP section would be difficult for somebody just learning navigation. Mm-hmm. And that was on the third day. So they, they would have had two days of learning. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but yeah, the, the road books were spot on. There was there were no, you know, it's not uncommon to have a rally where uh, at a certain place, the road book may be broken or difficult for everybody to understand and a bunch of people get lost. Mm-hmm. And, and then, you know, have difficulty getting themselves back on course. But that was not the case here that the, the whole road book was spot on. Nice. Uh, Mike did a really good job on the road books. And then, uh, you know, they were all validated prior to the event, which made, you know, yeah. add that, that extra little level of, uh, uh, detail. Yeah. 
And what, um, so that you mentioned that a couple of times, the, the validation side of things, what, yeah. what is that? I mean, for the rally comp and for you and, and, and any event, what is validation? Uh, what we're talking about when we, when we say we were validating the roadbook is the, the roadbook creator hands the roadbook to an individual who knows nothing of the course or the route and hopefully their rally comp that they'll be using at the event as well. Mm-hmm. And they go out and run the course and then, um, you know, mark or highlight any issues that they see in the roadbook. And then the creator can make uh, the, the required changes. The other side of it, like I said, is the rally comp validating that all the waypoints are in the right places and, and that they're all working properly. Um, cause the, the, they may have a road, uh, for instance, let's say they, they placed a waypoint and accidentally got it on the other side of a fence line where you can't get to it. I mean, that would be a, a, a big problem. Or maybe they entered the speed limit wrong where you're supposed to be going, uh, 70 kilometers an hour and instead they entered it at 25 and that's not only you know it's 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 a problem for the racer having to go so slow but it's really dangerous when there's cars that are going significantly faster than the pace that the bikes can go um so they'll run the whole route make any markings in the road book and the and the the creator can go through make sure that everything works properly and, and fix any issues so that on race day everything works properly Nice. And yeah, I mean, and so that's obviously going to be a very important part of it since you, it, it's easy to get lost. You know, you don't, depending on where you're at, especially if you're not at the front of the field, right. You know, if you don't have tracks to follow, it it just gets increasingly harder. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's possible that, that there's a missing instruction in the road book. That's not uncommon, a missing instruction, or like I said, a speed zone that was entered improperly. Um, <laughs> They've got gas stops that, that the rally comp does a countdown for 15, in this case, 15 minutes. So, um, they're, uh, they've got to make sure all that works properly for the event. There's stops, uh, unmanned stops where you have to stop for three seconds at a stop sign. And, and, you know, you just want to make sure that when the event comes around and everybody's at race pace, that all that stuff works properly. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, uh, that's, I think, one of the single because I've seen it in in other events. You know, we'll, they will remain nameless. I've seen the difference between when they when they do do that and when they don't do that, and and how it goes down. Um, you know, it, it could lead to a lot of frustration. Obviously, with the racers, it could it could literally throw a stage away. You know, if it's not yeah, absolutely, it, it, yeah, it's that important. You know, to yeah, to do and that. then the safety, the safety side of it as well. You know, yeah, absolutely. Uh, there, there's there's safety situations that can be created with people getting off course with maybe danger areas that have happened. That's another part of validation on the route is maybe the person that made the road book, uh, you know, either knows the area or they, they wrote it three, four, six months ago. So you want somebody validating it closer to the event. So if there's any new washouts or any new dangers that have been created, or areas you can't pass. Maybe there's been some construction or a fence put up that all that gets picked up and added into the road book so that it, it, it so that it's proper for the event. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I, I agree. We've, we've talked about it. Also, I know that, uh, we've talked about that at length, uh, in, in Mexico with, uh, with Dave Peckham from, uh, rally navigator. 
and uh-huh. formally ICO, but the same conversation, you know, it's like the, the importance of having somebody validate the routes and going through that is, is absolutely huge. Um, oh, sure. Yep. And I know, I know there, uh, I know Baja rally is getting ready. I think they just came back from doing the reconnaissance after this last uh, hurricane that came out and that, that event's only two weeks, you know, two weeks out. So that, you know, I know it's going to be a big difference. I was there for the whole, the, was it the last, I'm trying to remember what the name of the storm, but it was like three or four storms in succession. And I mean, they wiped out entire stages and, and that was yeah. huge. I remember Scotty was out validating stages and making changes literally that while we're, you know, doing scrutineering and getting everybody checked in. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, there, there's been a lot of damage from the storm on the route, but I, from what I hear, they haven't had to change the route. They've just had to add a bunch of safety waypoints that will, they'll alert the riders as they approach that there's a danger and, and then they can slow down and, and be prepared and, and react appropriately. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, apparently some of the washes that are pretty beat up, you know, they're in Baja where people are riding them all the time they're they've got completely smoothed over by the, the, the water. So there's some of it, for some of it's going to be just beautiful riding. Oh yeah. Some, some virgin sand washes. And I mean, yeah. I think they got enough water there. There may still be some wet sand under there. So Still, maybe oh, well, that's another great thing. Sure, yeah. <laughs> some hero dirt. You know, the fuel mm-hmm. mileage goes a little further. <laughs> yep, for sure. Yeah, that that was a good one. That so, and was there a lot of sand? Did you guys get a lot of sand in the Kotal Rally? I mean, was that? No, not really. Um, it was mostly uh, rock and and, and uh, dirt. Um, after it rained, there was a lot of you know mud in certain areas um but there was there was sand sprinkled over the terrain but it wasn't like we had any dunes or any any what you what i would call a sandy trail Mm -hmm. so nice not a lot of sand no it's mostly mountains oh okay well and and i mean some pretty awesome uh pretty awesome views i've saw some of the pictures you know the typical some of the guys phenomenal phenomenal yeah, that's that's what I've heard, and uh, that another one of the things you know, besides the organization and 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 some of you know how the event goes, uh, but yeah, the the terrain and the views and the stuff that they get to see out there. So, you know, I'm I'm curious. Oh yeah, you get to see you get to see things that that most people never experience in a lifetime. That's well, that's how rally should be, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not a lot of people know, know spectators, and usually. There's something about rallies. I mean, it's just, it seems like, uh, you know, being down in, in Baja and that was my favorite question to ask, you know, how was the route? How was everything? And so many people, you know, it's the same thing. You know, I've never been down this road or I've never seen this road. And, uh, it seems like with rally, you're allowed access into places that you don't get if it was a regular type race, sprint race. Yeah. Well, that's one of the essence of, if you're building a road book is to bring people on the most interesting, most beautiful, fun, best riding stuff that you can possibly find that's the goal when you're writing the road book. So, um, that's what usually happens. Yeah. Um, You know, you're not just pounding down whoops that have been, (laughs) that everybody goes down and, you know, that by part of the score races or something like that, you know, this is, these are special areas that have been handpicked to take the people into. So, I mean, you'll experience at the Baja rally, you'll experience parts of Baja that, that most people never see. Yeah. And, uh, and it's really, really nice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's, that was definitely always the, uh, always the conversation, you know, when people were coming back into the bivouac or, or coming to the finish line and, and talking to them or, 
you know, or, or the group. I remember there was always the group of guys that would stop for smoke breaks and pictures and all that stuff. And then I'd see, you know, I'd be somewhere with Internet and I'm scrolling through my Instagram feed and I'm seeing, you know, pictures that these guys are taking out on the course. And I'm like, uh, I, you know, <laughs> are you guys planning on coming back? Should we close the finish line? <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, even. Yeah. But I've had conversation with, you know, I've raced down there for years and with other racers that have been down there for years and they come back and, and uh, you know, after a stage talking about seeing stuff that they've never seen before, you know, and and that's that's one of the great things about it. Yeah. Is you're you're not just going down and riding uh, the same terrain that uh, everybody's always ridden down in Baja. So yeah. that that's really nice. Yeah. And then the same goes for the Kota. You know that if if you went out riding in these areas trying to find the stuff that that these guys did, mm-hmm. you you would never find it. Nice. You know it's it. These guys know the area and they spent a lot of time doing reconnaissance to pick out the best terrain possible. Uh, to cover five days of rally racing. Yeah. So you can't beat it. No. And I know Mike puts a lot of effort into that because he's, he's, I know up there in that area, he, we've talked at length about it, but he has a very limited schedule because of the weather. You know, it either, it either gets snowed in or, or it gets too hot, you know, in some places. So, yeah. Yeah. So for him to put a route together, or those guys to put him and Scott to put a route together and get all of that, you know, squared away is, is, is impressive. So, Mm-hmm. on the calendar Definitely. for next year I'll, I'll be out there well hope to see you there victor yeah so cool so all right last last question i like asking this question a lot of people but um, okay <laughs> all right it's an easy one though what do you think is the an entry barrier to getting into rally like is there something that you've identified that holds people back from trying it or, or just getting into it? Well, I, I think the cost is, is an entry barrier on buying the, the navigation equipment and then having to spend a day putting it on your bike. And then if you want to turn your bike back into what it was before, another day to take it off. So, I mean, that's what I've always thought the entry barrier was. And, you know, in actuality, that's where I started developing the rally comp because I thought just the price of a resettable odometer was insane. So I was going to just develop, develop a, a, an inexpensive odometer. And once I got that done, then I thought, well, I can make it do this and I can make it do that. And the, the, it just grew and grew and grew into what it is now. But um, I, I think that's the biggest hurdle is, is the cost of all these devices. Um, and, you know, now there's some, some, you know, you can, you can use an iPhone to do some of that stuff. It's not really, or you can't use it really for racing. I suppose you could. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, there's some, some other things you can do or an iPad to use as your road book. You know, there's some things you can do to reduce the cost and, and, uh, and help overcome that hurdle. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, most people, when they try it, just love it. Yeah. That's one of the, the great things about it. And I think, you know, I've been trying to promote rally in the, in the U S for, for years or helping every way I can, you know, uh, introducing the rally comp, but a lot of people in the U S you would ask them if they were interested in doing a rally and their initial response was, I'm not going to go get lost in the desert, mm-hmm. you know, and potentially die. Well, with the rally comp and being able to open waypoints and the tracking features and different things, that that fear is is now gone. So you you don't hear that anymore. Uh, you hear more that I'm not going to spend a thousand dollars to to try this thing out. You know, so we as a community need to figure out how to overcome that mm-hmm. that hurdle. You know, for more people. 
but I, I see the rally uh, community growing definitely it's 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 growing rapidly at this point so yeah. that's real encouraging yeah i would i definitely agree with that and that, and like you said as electronic devices become easier to to turn into something that viable like that you can use for rally and like you said i mean not not that it's going to be race you know race quality but it's enough to go out and i'm going to use this the 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 term or to, it's enough to go out and get lost, but not really that it's just, it's enough to go out and, and get going. And, you know, I, I think about, I yeah, always get your feet wet and see what it's all about and see yeah. if you really like it. Yeah. And you then know, I'm sure there's people that might go out and spend that thousand dollars and decide, Hey, this isn't for me. Mm-hmm. And that's unfortunate, you know, but you know, if, if you don't try, you don't know. Yeah. And, and I think for that, you know, it's, it's, Maybe like uh, at that point, it was a lack of plan. It was like, okay, well, I'm going to go out and try it. But if you don't realize like, okay, well, wait a minute, who's going to make road books? What class? Like there has to be a little bit more planning so that you don't have a bad experience with it. Because like Matthew Glade said, just just look at uh, look at the market for used gear for rally. It's Uh virtually non-existent. I can't go on eBay right now and find a used ICO. You know, oh, right. yeah. you know, you go on Facebook and there's rally specific Facebook groups and every once in a while something comes up, but it's not like there's just like, oh yeah, Hey, I tried getting out of the sport. You know, it's, you see more bikes going up for sale because like, Hey, I tried it. It wasn't for me. You know, bikes too big. It scared, you know, scared me. And yeah, yeah, yeah. You see more of that. Well, I guess that's a good sign too. Yeah. I hadn't looked at it from that perspective, but yeah, that, that, that's, that That's interesting that you don't see any used uh, equipment out there available. So, yeah. I, I think most people that try it end up liking it and and probably stick with it. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with that. And and based on the feedback and and the messages and the stuff that's going, yeah, for sure. I mean, there's more and more people looking to get into it. It's just, you know, the the plan, right? What do you? How are we going to get get into this? What are we going to do? So, it's actually, you know. pays dividends right or you know where it actually is like okay this is actually entertaining i actually want to do more of this yeah yeah so we'll see and with with the with the way um you know we're we're losing land for riding Mm -hmm. on a consistent basis and the rally uh format accommodates that that you're riding a street legal bike that you can ride a section of desert or mountain or forest, whatever. And then you can transition uh, from one area to the next on the road because each area isn't big enough to support the entire event. So you can put together, uh, you know, a, a significant event with that's, that's patches of, of land connected by roads. And so I think that's really where the future of racing is going to go. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I agree with that. And that's actually a very valid point. I'm like, I'm just imagining it's like, okay, well, if it was not a street legal bike, right. Going back and said, okay, well, we want to ride this section and this section. Now we got to find a dirt road that communicates both of them. Well, that dirt road happens to suck. And it just like, or it's this big loop that you got to do just to get over to this other section where you could have jumped on the highway. For, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and as we lose more riding land, I mean, that's going to become more and more of a problem. So that's why, why I think the rally format is, is really the future of, of racing in many respects, mm-hmm. at least long distance racing, multi-days, you know, um, it's going to be hard to find any contiguous pieces of land that you can race on in the future. Yeah. 
Yeah, I agree with that. Especially here in California, they seem to be putting up gates faster than they're taking them down. So, yeah, yeah yep, absolutely. Well, actually, that's right. They don't take the gates down. Once they're up, they're up. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, not gonna work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, awesome, sir. I I appreciate you jumping on with me, and uh, and uh, we'll get uh, we're gonna see you down in Baja, right? couple weeks absolutely yeah I'll, I'll be in baja and i'll be at sonora i i am um, you know i'm i'm working on prepping rally comps getting ready on that side of it and then also trying to race these events so um hopefully i can put my race effort together for both of those events as well but definitely they're supporting the rally comp will be at the uh, the baja and sonora rally oh, awesome oh yeah that'll be fun yep nice Hope to see you there as well. Yeah, Victor. that's the game plan. Well, we'll see. Okay. <laughs> All, All right, right, Mike. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks. I, Bye. See ya. All right, that is a wrap for the Chasing Waypoints podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode. Do not forget to tag us, follow along on the social medias at Chasing Waypoints on Instagram and on Facebook. Hope you guys have a great week. Remember, keep it shiny side up. Tune into the next episode. Tag us, do all of that fun stuff. Share, let's get this rally thing going. And of course, do not forget... It'll make sense when you get there. Enjoy the ride. See you guys. Catch you next week.